And welcome back to the Testudo Times podcast, where I am blaming every single thing that happened on Saturday on the emoji shirts that portrayed Bowling Green's mascot as a bowling ball instead of a bird. I'm joined by two people on this Monday evening to reminisce, reflect, and uh, cry over what happened uh, Saturday at Dreary Bird Stadium. Pete, uh, how are you? Um, I'm better than I was on Saturday. I, well, it's been a time, nice few days of not having to watch Maryland football. <laughs> time heals all wounds, doesn't it? Most. Most wounds. Oh, I, I've recovered from a horrible day of football yesterday, to tell you the truth. Uh, Alex Kirster is also joining us after he spent most of the day praying away his sins. Hi, Alex. Hi, Matt. How are you? Uh, good. I did not pray away my sins. What's the, uh, you have the wrong holiday. You have the wrong holiday. I, I know, I know, but still. I'm, I'm going off one of one of my teachers thinking uh, Rosh Hashanah is for praying away your sins, or at least the start of praying away your sins. He got it wrong, but he, he won't listen to this show anyway. He doesn't like sports. Uh, but we could use to pray away our sins after, uh, boy, that was, that was, that was ugly. I made the conscious decision to not go to the game at 1130 on Saturday morning. Turns out I'm incredibly prescient. Uh, I'll start with Pete in a general sense. They were winning 13-6 at halftime. It didn't look comfortable, but it didn't look like anything we were going to see in the second half. What in God's name went wrong? Uh, a lot of things. You know, I think a lot of people talk about the defense, and I think there's definitely blame to be played there, uh, especially in the second half. But honestly, when you have an offense that's just gone out there and throwing interceptions or throwing incomplete passes and just having incredibly short drives, and then you're facing a Bowling Green offense that – moves faster than anyone in the country, just in terms of pure pace, I mean, you're going to get tired. And so I think it was a combination of offensive ineffectiveness and the defense getting tired and then not adjusting properly. Uh, it was just it was bad decisions all around. Maryland got outcoached. Maryland got outplayed. It, it just, it's something that shouldn't have happened um, in, in year five at home against a MAC team. I mean, Bowling Green's good. They're fine. I mean, it's not a team that's probably even going to win the MAC, but I mean, with how they looked on Saturday, they might compete for it. But this isn't a Bowling Green that was that's like in the in consideration for top bowl honors. Um, it just shouldn't happen. Alex, uh, in your view, what went wrong? Um, you know, everything Pete said is is certainly true. Um, the offense and its inability to sustain drives. Uh, obviously does have some degree of outflow that hurts the defense, especially when you're defending more than 100 snaps like Maryland's defense did. Um, but also, it, it's probably important to say that the defense itself wasn't very good either, um, independently of the offense. Uh, Bowling Green in the second half had four straight touchdown drives that covered about 250 yards or so uh, and only took about 10 minutes or, or maybe slightly less, you know, about, about 10 minutes even uh, off the clock, and they were at 250 yards in 10 minutes and 28 points. Um, that's outrageous, and the chances of winning a game when your defense allows that um, are zero or, or a rounding error away from zero. It's, it's pretty much impossible. So um, all around, j just a pretty horrible effort by Maryland. I want to go back to a game last year, if you don't mind, Pete, because last year Maryland played against West Virginia, who runs the air raid. They run a bajillion plays, and Maryland had different personnel, obviously, and a different offense, but they were – they were able to at least compete and got that game to overtime. Uh, well, not overtime, almost overtime, excuse me. And today, I mean, it's a different season, but you think most of these players and the coaches should be familiar with how you deal with air raid offenses in 2015 because the second half, it just looked like they weren't at all familiar. And even in the first half, Bowling Green shot themselves in the foot. They could have been winning at halftime. 
Uh, to be honest, I think that there are some significant differences between Bowling Green's offices and West Virginia's, especially with regards to personnel. Um, I think that the West Virginia comparison is a really good one, just in terms of these two games. Uh, West Virginia is more talented than Bowling Green is, just from a pure standpoint of, of recruiting ratings or however else you want to reliably measure talent. West Virginia has more of it. Um, but uh, that game was a high-scoring game, and I remember a lot of blame being thrown at the defense and why the defense didn't play great. It was really because Maryland couldn't move the ball reliably. Um, there was a lot of issues with that, and that's what we saw against Bowling Green as well. In terms of covering the spread, I mean, the big thing that I noticed, and I talked to Alex about this as well, is Maryland had Will Likely covering Garrett Dieter, who had a tremendous game over against Tennessee, instead of Roger Lewis, who's was just phenomenal last year for Bowling Green. He broke the school record, I believe, as a freshman for receiving yards. Um, and Roger Lewis caught for 200 yards against Maryland because he just beat Sean Davis over and over. And uh, not only on deep routes, because, you know, he can run and Matt Johnson can sling it, but they were throwing a lot of short routes, and Maryland wasn't playing press coverage. And that was just like a reliable six, seven-yard game. And Bowling Green is totally okay with that. Um, because then as soon as you adjust to it, you hit them over. It's it's a really hard offense to defend against, but Maryland didn't do a good job. They were they seemed capable of doing it because they did get sacks. They did force some short plays, and they did end up forcing Bowling Green into mistakes at some point. Uh, Alex, I want to get to an offensive issue that was glaring, and even on TV and standard definition in my dorm room, it was glaring. Why did the running game against a team that got gashed left and right by Tennessee, who is a better team, have so many struggles running the ball against a terrible Bowling Green defense. How did that happen? Uh, you know, there's probably a lot of reasons for it, but it usually um, starts, especially when your struggles are primarily with your running backs. It usually starts with the offensive line not getting much push. Um, I can't really explain that because Bowling Green's front is not good. Uh, it's a front that graduated uh, five or six important rotation guys from last year. Uh, when it was a really bad run defense. And the only running that Maryland could do that was um, consistent uh, for most of the game was Perry Hill scrambling when the pocket broke down against that terrible front. So I, I really uh, can't explain why Maryland's offensive line was so brutal. Um, credit to Wes Brown that he managed to yeah, he had a, a, pr a pretty good game, actually, in, in limited carries um, as things went along. Um, but, you know, I say limited carries, and he had nine of them, and that was the most of any player on that one, um, uh, which Pete and I talked about this too. I mean, um, to, to not give any running back um, double-digit carries against a defense that had just given up 400 rushing yards, SEC opponent or not, um, that was that was a bit of a head-scratcher for me. Is that Was it more the play-calling, offensive line, or running backs just not a, having a good day at the office, Pete? Which was the biggest contributing factor for you? Play-calling, 100%. I, I figured I mean, like, that was going to be your answer. Without without a doubt. I mean, like, Brandon Ross did not have a good game. He very much did not. Um, the left side of Maryland's line did not have a good game. The The right side in the middle was okay. I mean, it wasn't nearly as good as it was against Richmond, as was expected. But Maryland really struggled uh, on the left side. But Wes Brown was able to run the ball. Um, and Maryland saw the most success when they were able to combine that with the play-action pass instead of just predictably calling pass, 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 which I don't know why you would ever do um, in that situation against that team with the parts that you had. But that's what Maryland did. I mean, it's 
there's a lot of blame to go around with this game. The players didn't perform well, but I think it has to reside primarily with the coaching. Okay, we'll get to coaching because that's a big issue and it's been a, a big a topic of discussion in Twitter, our message boards, everywhere else. I want to get to the quarterback because, of course, today there's a quarterback change. Perry Hills gets benched. If you, by the way, if you took two games for a quarterback change, uh, uh, congratulations, you got the under. Uh, I thought it was going to happen later, but two games, that's a bit of a surprise to me. Um, Caleb Rowe, of course, threw a couple of picks immediately as soon as he came in. Now, that was basically when the game was over and Maryland was deflated. Um, Perry Hills' arm strength is a problem. We, we've talked about that ad nauseum. We, we get it. But why now? Because I don't think Perry Hills was terrible. We know what his faults are, and I think there were a lot more faults go to the, as you said, coaching. But why now? Is it because Maryland just needs a spark and this sort of reeks of desperation, or is it something else? I'll start with Alex this time. Um, I think it probably does reek of desperation, um, and that's not to really fault anybody for it. It's just, you know, when you're one Desperation one, like, can't be good. It, 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 can't, it can't be good. Um, so I don't fault somebody for acknowledging that it's a desperate time. Um, with that said, I don't really see this as desperate measures. Um, I don't think that the gulf between Perry Hills and Caleb Rowe is huge. Um, that said, I, I did understand it when Hills started the year as the quarterback because um, he's less likely to throw interceptions compared to Caleb Rowe. Uh, Caleb Rowe's thrown as many interceptions, 12, as he has touchdowns in his college career. Um, to be fair to him, uh, I know that three of those came in relief against Ohio State last year when Maryland was down by a ton and needed to force throws to get down the field. And it was the same story with the, the two that he threw the other day. Um, but this is still a guy who in his last three appearances has thrown five interceptions um, against one touchdown. Um, so obviously um, – Maryland would prefer to have somebody with a bit more of a, a reliable track record to plug in. But Randy Etz talked about this a lot yesterday, too, uh, on his conference call, that without Maryland's offense being able to at least pretend that it can pass vertically, um, there's not a whole lot of hope for, for much in the running game. I mean, there's got to be a reason that defenses can't put eight guys in the box and have their way with Maryland's offensive line and running backs. So um, understandable, also desperate. Um not, not a great situation to be in, but I, I do think that uh, it'll bring some good and some bad for Maryland. Pete, do you buy that explanation of needing to at least have a the ruse of a deep threat in order to open up the running game? Because this team is run first, let's be honest. Uh, is that it, or is it Randy Edsel and company covering up with a, uh, a bad decision that they made in the first place? Well, you'd think it'd be run first, but Maryland passed the ball more than well, it threw against okay. Bowling Green. In theory, in, in our ideal minds, it's run first. But that's, I, that's I, the I problem. Kind of, I can kind of buy where they're coming from, but then again, I see the play calling, and then I'm realizing, mm. No, I mean, it's we don't know that. I mean, like, the, here's the thing. We look at Maryland's roster, and we can say, just like looking at what we've seen, how they performed, that Maryland should be a primarily running team. And then Maryland does the exact opposite thing against Bowling Green. As to your question about, like, is it desperate? Like, are you surprised that it happened this soon? I, I don't know why... It didn't happen in the first place. Like, I'm really puzzled as to what Perry Hills did in practice that he was unable to repeat in game time that made Maryland's coaches think it was acceptable to put him out there without being able to test the defense deep. I mean, it's not like he's C.J. Brown. He's not going to break off a 70-yard touchdown run. And Perry Hills, who, like, I mean, I respect him tremendously for the effort he's put forward for Maryland over the years in very tough situations with a lot of pressure in his face. But 
if Maryland knew that he couldn't test defense vertically, why was he playing? And if they didn't know, why didn't they? <laughs> um, I had a friend who I was watching the Richmond game with, and we were talking about Perry Hills, and this was after the first half, and, and he was telling me, and I was agreeing with him, this is more of an indictment of Caleb Rowe than it is Perry Hills. I don't know if we can only speculate because we don't know what goes on behind the closed doors in training camp. But do you think it's more Caleb Rowe lost the job as opposed to Perry Hills winning it in this case? Because it's impossible I mean, to say. Yeah, I think, I mean, Caleb had, was recovering from an injury for a while, and I would be surprised if that didn't have something to do with it. But it's it's hard to know, like, exactly what went to, went into it because Edsel is very secretive with his practices. I, if, you, if you've walked around campus and noting the uh, black tarp that walks right around the football practice fields just by Bird Stadium, you'll notice that, even though there are holes in it and it blows up in the wind and they don't really do a good job of hiding anything. But and, and you can see the practice fields from all of the buildings that are right next to it. But anyway, you can't do it. You can't put in a practice bubble yet, at the very least. Uh, so when you look now at where we go with Caleb Rowe, we've seen what he can do. His decision making isn't the best. There are frustrating times, of course. Uh, do you think it leads to immediate dividends with just the vertical passing game? Because Maryland has receivers that can stretch the field, as we, we've seen. They have explosive players, the Jacobs brothers. Colmer's had a couple of moments. So, Pete, do you think that this change is going to provide the dividends that Maryland needs to salvage something? Uh, it, hopefully. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, of course, like you said, there's there are reasons that Caleb Rowe didn't start the season over Perry Hills. And we saw those reasons when Caleb Rowe came into play against Bowling Green. Um, so if that's the Caleb Rowe we see, absolutely not. If Maryland is able to intelligently mix the vertical passing game with a, an under game and their power running game, then yeah, that that should be great. I mean, he has an arm. They have playmakers. DJ Moore is starting now, and he's been one of the most impressive playmakers on the team so far. Um, he's been in the top two in yards per target in each of the two weeks. And... Yeah, I mean, it, it could be good things, but there's very little in Mike Loxley's career as an offensive coordinator that points to that being likely. Uh, well, speaking of, should we put in Will Likely on offense all the time, every play? Yeah, just play my quarterback. What's going to happen? <laughs> we, you can't test the, the deep passing game anyway. Just, like, put as many playmakers on the field as possible. Oh, that would be amazing. Alex, do you think Caleb Rowe changes things, or is it kind of like you have to make a change for the sake of change because there legitimately is nothing else that they can do? Um, I think it will change something. I'm not really – uh, confident guessing one way or another if it'll be a good thing or a bad thing just because of uh, the, the the interception factor. Um, Maryland's already at minus four in turnovers this year, and I think they're going to make a very good run um, at, at the worst in the Big Ten. Almost almost definitely going to be the worst turnover team in the Big Ten um, if past patterns with, with interceptions continue. Um, but I also think that, like, like Pete mentioned, he could be a fit for some of these guys that they have uh, at wide receiver who figure to be pretty good players. Um, I'm pretty close to anointing DJ Moore, Maryland's best wide receiver. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's uh, entirely possible that he's the best receiver Maryland has. Um, you know, having a quarterback who get the ball to him more than 10 or 15 yards beyond the line of scrimmage uh, is a good thing. And, you know, it's, it's a, a situation where whoever's going to do the most efficient job getting the ball to the guys who can run away from people, um, that'll, that'll, that'll be helpful. I think Maryland, by the way, um, I, I had this thought while I was watching uh, Malcolm Comer drop 
two balls on, in two plays um, on Saturday. I think the single biggest thing that Maryland's missing right now is Jawan Winfrey. Yeah. Um, that that's disastrous. That. Absolutely disastrous for Maryland that he uh, couldn't couldn't keep things together here and and, and moved on. Um, yeah, I, I think Maryland does have have some issues, and, and we'll see if if Caleb Rowe is the best fit to solve them or not. Okay, let's get on to what everybody I think wants to talk about, which is coaching. Uh, some people are wondering, you know, is, is this is this the beginning of the end for Andy Etzel? And I cannot forget, and I can't fault you for saying that or thinking that. Ahem, Pete Volk. Um, so when we look at this coaching staff as a whole, we know what the faults are. I could have told you Mike Loxley was a bad offensive coordinator in 2012. I saw the, the seedlings of this almost as soon as I got here. He's a great recruiter, but has trouble coordinating a cohesive offense. You know, and, and you said it rightly. A lot of this is going to fall on the coach's shoulders. Do you think that, that the, not only is the talk justified, but that where we're, where we're headed, is that even though most expected – Maryland to be a six and six, five and seven team. I predicted seven and five because I'm more optimistic. Do you think that's that even if they get there now, that the coaches are under incredible scrutiny, even more so than they were coming into the season, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, no matter what, you know, we knew that Maryland wasn't going to win more than seven games basically coming into the year. It was just a question of how bad was it going to be, and how bad that is obviously increases the pressure on Randy Etzel and the staff. I mean, you know, I think a lot of fans might be under the impression that Kevin Anderson is just fine with Randy Etzel winning seven games forever. But that's not true of, like, any athletic department in the country besides, like, I don't know, Vanderbilt or <laughs> some, some other programs Rutgers, where that would actually Rutgers signify. Rutgers at this rate or Kansas. No, I, I mean, even Rutgers, like, because of Greg Schiano um, and Kansas, too. I don't know. I mean, people get tired, like, Minnesota. I mean, you saw people get tired of Glenn Mason. You, you see it everywhere. Uh -huh. And, yep. and I, it's not going to happen where Randy Etzel is just going to stay forever just because Kevin Anderson doesn't want to make a move. But it's up to Randy Etzel and how he performs, how long he stays. There's a buyout in his contract for a reason. There are considerations to be thought of with recruiting. But, I mean, it's, that's not everything. I mean, you, you got to feel confident that, that the guy is the guy. And... Um, Kevin Anderson and Randy Etzel are going to be facing some tough questions over the rest of the season because his name is going – unless Maryland has some tremendous turnaround where they you know, beat a team they're not expected to beat from here on out, uh, they, he's going to be on a lot of hot seat watches. And that brings negative attention. That brings negative recruiting. I mean if you have a coach who's on the real hot seat, like on danger of being fired – that is going to hurt your attempts to bring in kids because other coaches can just easily say, I mean, how do you know he's even going to be there? That's a good point. Alex, even if this team finishes 6-6, six and six, which is still entirely feasible, let's be honest here, the bottom of the Big Ten East, aside from Ohio State and Michigan State, is a dumpster fire. Maryland still has every chance to get 6. Uh, is... Mm. Is six or five, I mean, even five at this point doesn't seem like it would be all that terrible considering what we all expected to be a transition year. What is the threshold of fireable at this point considering this was a, an incredibly bad loss and one that nobody expected to be one? There were four we all knew were going to be losses coming into the season, but this was not one of them. Uh, yeah, I think, I think anything less than four. So if Maryland does not win more than two games the rest of the season – um, would probably be fireable. But we have to, to keep in mind, and as you've alluded to here, 
this is sort of a unique situation. Um, in terms of you know what is justice for a college football coach, um, certainly um, given that Maryland is is likely to finish sub 500 again this year, and this will be five years of nothing better than seven wins, and usually less than that. Um, sure, I mean if if all things are equal, um, then Randy Etzel is fired, and, and there's no doubt. But this is again, this is an odd situation. Um, not that Maryland's recruiting class is um, something otherworldly for next year. Um, not that it's even at the top of the Big Ten, because it's not, um, given that Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, uh, even Nebraska and, and Wisconsin are still going to recruit great classes. Um, but it's a recruiting class that could be a little bit transformative for Maryland, um, particularly if, if a couple of other targets like Trayvon Diggs and uh, um, the middle linebacker from Baltimore, uh, Sean, Sean Smith. Smith, who's, yeah. Um, if if he, players of that caliber... He, he would be the best player in the class, by the way. Yeah, I mean, like, absolutely. And, and Haskins and Diggs are both like top tier guys, and Smith's yeah. better than both of them. Um, and and this is all to say that just because it's the right thing to fire somebody based on those results um, doesn't necessarily mean that it's the smartest thing for the future. Um, would you rather have Randy and uh, Randy Etzel and Dwayne Haskins, Tino Ellis, Keandre Jones, and and maybe some of these other guys, um, or would you rather start over, have Dwayne Haskins maybe call Florida and say, hey, uh, is, is your offer still good? Um, and just completely start over. Um, because when big time recruits commit to a school and then the coach leaves, uh, the recruits leave too. Uh, in in a, a great, a great rate of those situations. Um, I think it's, I think it's important to note that either way, like both of those opinions are valid. Like you can make an argument for either one of those situations being the right call for Maryland. Uh huh. Absolutely. Um, and, and it really, uh, it really does. I don't. I don't mean to imply um, that it's a certainty either that Maryland would lose its entire recruiting class if Randy Etzel left, especially given the way that its local recruits for this class are sort of coalesced right. with each the way other. it's been marketed has been. Yeah, I mean, they might. It. You know, it's it's the DMV to UMD movement, not the DMV to Randy Etzel movement. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 going to be the big surprise. Maryland hires Dino Babers. Bowling Green <laughs> hires Randy Etzel, and all of Maryland's. Oh. Yeah, yeah, and then Bowling Green wins the Mac forever <laughs> with seven wins. With yeah. seven, <laughs> winning with seven wins in perpetuity would be the most Mac thing ever. After Temple and UMass said, "Yeah, uh, how about how about no?" Uh, let's. I want to. I want to get to that, Pete. Do you think? And we talked about both of them being the case. Both of those arguments with recruiting being the case. When? <laughs> when do you think? I mean, when do you think the patience with Edsel runs out? Now, we've seen Kevin Anderson change things with basketball and football when he came here. But this would be his first big decision outside of that in terms of coaches. We haven't seen him pull the trigger. And there were some He hired moments. Edsel. He did. He, oh, he hired both coaches. Yeah. But now we're, we're at the point where he hasn't fired a coach yet. Right. So that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, what, we don't know what the threshold is for Kevin Anderson firing a coach. We've right. heard talk of it. But we yeah. don't know what the threshold is yet. I mean, he's someone who has made it to this position in collegiate athletics, so he's not an idiot, which means that if Maryland does not improve soon, he's going to hire a different coach. That's I, not, well, that's true. I, I, just, I, I feel I, very confidently in that. One point that should be made in Randy Essel's favor, and this, this, by the way, I just want to put this out there because I haven't seen it out there. Um, this is not going to flip the fire or don't decision either way. Um, he's still, as far as we know, coaching Maryland special teams. 
um, yeah. which are Maryland's best unit. Um, Having to coach so, special teams full time. So. Uh, yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he is John Harbaugh, only he far, really does. far worse. He seems like he's done a pretty good job with that unit. So give him that. That's, that's yeah. not, a, not a completely meaningless I'll give him. Thing. I'll give him the, the nod for recruiting, too. Because it's the only thing keeping them in games. I mean, it's incredible. It was the same thing last year. Maryland had one of the best special teams units in the country. It is like they're playing Beamer Ball, except <laughs> without Bud Foster coaching the defense. Uh, and with an equally bad offense. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Oh. And without blocking kicks. I without mean, blocking kicks. That is that is absolutely true. Good 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 shout that. This has been a good good job for uh, arguments being made in favor of both sides. Uh, Mike Lacher on Twitter has a question, and this is a really good one. We were talking about it before the podcast. Who is the next head football coach at Maryland, and when is his first season? Yeah, that I doesn't really read like the way it question. doesn't read the way you think it does. Yeah, because I, I think it's a fair question because you know there's going to be another football coach in Maryland history yes, after Randy Etzel. Yes, I mean, there will. That's, and that Bob should Stitt. Serve, Bob that should serve as some comfort Matt to you Rule. Maryland fans out there. Matt yes. Rule. Matt Rule's a complicated one. I think, yeah, so like I think that in terms of I don't know, these are fun games to play. It's one of the reasons why we love sports. Why would the uh, reasons why we have this podcast? Because if we wrote this, we would be uh, in a little bit of a different situation than talking yeah. about it very informally. Yeah, it's it's not, you know, quite that time. But in terms of you know people to keep an eye on, I think Matt Rule is a good name. He's the head coach at Temple. Um, he's really done some tremendous things with that program and specifically the defense in like a year or two and you guys might remember he took kareem ali away from maryland a high three-star cornerback from philadelphia and he's like he was like a finalist for the blue chip tight end nasir upshur i mean it, they he's done a very good job there it's a re, it's a school in this region the one problem and like i can't believe that it could be a problem but i don't know how strongly maryland fans feel about this and he played at penn state under Joe Paterno and Jerry Sandusky, and appears to be loyal to both of them. I mean, um, they, uh, so what? Yeah, oh, I, wait, Ralph Region beat wait, Rutgers sorry, last wait. season. Wait, you said he's <laughs> loyal to what? Well, he, the only quote that I have found from Matt Rule on this was just talking about how all he knows is Jerry Sandusky's a great guy who taught me all he knows. <laughs> James Franklin is the coach at Penn State right so, now. So here's the thing. Here's the thing, Alex. When when I first heard like that, I was like, oh, yeah, so what? I mean, yeah, some cranky Maryland fans are going to get pissed that they hired a paternal man, but so what? And then I look at I was like, okay, as long as he hasn't said anything stupid. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and I Google it, and sure enough, I mean, he, he like, it's very clear this was before a game at Penn State, and he was being interviewed presumably in front of Penn State media, and I think he was trying to be polite and obviously not say anything controversial in the newspaper, <laughs> but it read like how Penn State commenters talked. Talk. Right, right. All right. Well, it's, yeah. Well, yeah. So, um, but beyond that, he's a great football coach who would appear to be a great fit. Yeah. Just the, fact, the like fact that he went to Penn State could not be more relevant to me. But exactly. The, the other thing, the other thing is, is right. certainly, uh, yeah, not a net positive. Abs- absolutely. By the way, uh, if you are remembering, Temple has now become a breeding ground for decent coaches to go to decent D1 programs because Al Golden, well, he's about to get fired at Miami. And Steve Adazio, and Steve Adazio is doing a decent job at Boston College. So there's a track record from Temple. Maybe Maryland ends up with Al Golden. How about that? Oh, please. Can we not even suggest <laughs> that that's an option? Okay, oh. that's real. Uh, I, I guess it Other is. Other options, Mr. Dino Babers fan. Dino Babers. Yeah, Dino Babers, the Bowling Green head coach. I guess P.J. Fleck. I think P.J. Fleck would take a better job, honestly. Um, Although he lost to uh, Georgia Southern the other day. 
Yeah, Georgia Sun's real good though. I mean, they're zero and two, Western Michigan, but like they can run. He's he's, I mean, the things he's doing there, recruiting wise, it's catching people's attention. Um, in terms of other options, I mean, it's really hard because there aren't that many college football programs in this area, and usually what you look at is people with regional ties. Um, so you know, <laughs> Maryland like London, time, got <laughs> just to UConn. make it even worse. Maybe they go and get uh, Bob Diaco, uh, two straight UConn head coaches. He made up a fake rivalry with UCF. Well, if, if in terms of making up rivalries, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> well, they. I, I don't know. I think he's a good football coach in a very tough situation who would be happy to try on new things. Um, who else? Alex, do you have any? I mean, Bob Stitt is always a fun name. I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm going to yeah, be totally part honest. Part of the question was I what start, year? I didn't start getting into Bob Stitt until it became in vogue with the, the whole SB Nation crew a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and then I just I just started looking at He's just a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, it's it's really hard, um, especially just because you don't know when this would be. Um, the, the thing that I wonder, are there any assistants on Maryland staff um, who, who would ever be considered? Um, a good question. Because there's one, and I know what you're going to say to this, but it, it's Mike Loxley. Yeah, and it's not going to happen. Who, who would probably who would probably be the favorite, at least from a plurality standpoint, if you had to if you had to put given names on them? I mean, he would he would certainly be the interim head coach. Yeah, he would for sure. Um, do you think, think even that, we could see a it firing in season? Sorry to no, interrupt. No, I, I don't even see that as a remote possibility. They would have to. Maryland would have to get blown out by South Florida and Michigan, and then it starts to become a possibility. Because West Virginia is going to blow them out too, so that'd be yeah. that'd be consecutive at that point. Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't even mentioning West Virginia because I don't know why people don't think West Virginia's good, but like. No, that I, game's going to be a rout. That's going to be an absolute defense rout. is incredible. I don't know what Maryland's going to do. And, and the offense, those those two receivers that they have yeah. who run like four two forties, and yeah, I mean, there's but, I, I, can't, yeah. I can't imagine that going. Back well. to the question because I think it's a good one. Uh, you know, I think that in terms of year, I think that the most likely time for this is is still 2016-2017 buyout time uh haskins is here time all that i think that you know it's still unlikely maryland goes two and ten it could happen i mean that's like a very real possibility but i think that randy essel will be able to win enough games to save his job for this year because it's not a very high bar to clear um but it's interesting uh, coaching you know searches are always interesting Justin Fuente at Memphis is another great coach who might be out of Maryland's league just because he's probably going to go to some very big program. Um, I don't know. I mean, Tom Herman's doing great things at Houston. Oh, that geez, if, if, if Fuente's out of our league, Herman's no, I mean, way out of our league. Herman is in his first year at Houston. Um, but, yeah, I, I also think Herman's out of Maryland's league. Uh, it's, it's, Todd Herbiz will probably be available in about a year given that he recently took the pitch out. Yeah. <laughs> well, well done, coach. well done. Well, yeah, I'm trying to think. It's you know the I think that the the problem is you start thinking about all these Mac coaches and like how that work out for Illinois, how would right. that work out for Purdue. Um, you know who comes? You know who was a really hot prospect a couple of years ago um, when he was at FIU was Mario Cristobal. Yeah, his star kind of his star kind of faded. Now he's the it's because F- the offensive line coach for Alabama, I believe. Yeah, FIU made the dumbest decision ever and fired the best coach their program ever had. Yeah, hired Norv Turner's brother. 
Uh-huh. And now, I mean, yeah. So Cristobal's the offensive line coach at Alabama. I think that would be a huge. Which lead. is the easiest job in the world, by the way, in terms of yeah. college football. I mean, yeah. I don't. I think I could coach Alabama's. Yeah. Uh, we've also seen we've also seen people mention Lane Kiffin, um, just because stop, he's he's mentioned with every. But I, I think that actually be significantly I, out of Maryland's league. I would think. I, I, I don't, don't. I think he's so poisonous in terms of like his head coaching past. Oh, that, you wouldn't take him. I wouldn't touch him with a ten foot pole. Oh, I would. I would take him. I would absolutely take him in a second because he would bring success. I have no real doubt it's, about that. It's, it's not Tennessee. It's not USC. I think he'd be right. able to succeeding at Maryland is not the same as succeeding at Tennessee. Exactly. Far, far lower bar. But uh, you know, the athletic department wants to succeed at a higher level at the Tennessee USC levels than the Maryland. Hey, level. Whatever happened to Derek Dooley? Yeah. So here, a few things on that. First, Kiffin. Fantastic offensive mind, fantastic recruiter. You can't, I mean, he's so he's so good at both of those things. I Just in terms of the program management, not so much. Derek Dooley was just a horrible coach who did horrible things in Tennessee. Um, I, there's, you know, you hear stories about his time at Tennessee and just everyone there was not happy. Um, I think you said that the plurality would probably be for Loxley um, if this happened. I disagree. I think that the name that's been brought up most often is Frank Reich for a reason. That's that's more likely, I think, honestly. It, it just depends, like, how he does – I mean, how the Chargers do this year. Because he's a hot name as an NFL offensive coordinator, um, hot enough that, like, he could get some NFL head coach interest. And mm-hmm. if that happens, obviously Maryland is nowhere near that league. But having the uh, alma mater pool – always helps i mean those are the candidates that you you really start to look to i mean it's how maryland hired ralph region um so right. you have him and uh, jim schwartz is a maryland native as well um mike tice is also uh, greg gattuso is around um greg gattuso. how's he doing at, he's at albany you know I, i'll tell you actually um it's a little bit of a bias a bias plug there greg gattuso um brought on jim sweeney who played in the nfl for a lot of years uh, is a great family friend, so I'm I'm all about Albany um, yeah. under Greg Gattuso, but I think they're I think they're doing pretty well. I haven't looked into. It. I think they're I'm not sure in terms of wins and losses, but I think he's at least recruited reasonably well there. I, I'd I'd be lying if I said I were well versed in Albany's current status under him, but um, there are a number of guys. I mean, we've seen a lot of guys who have left Maryland staff uh, and gone on to reasonably good coaching careers. I mean, basically Penn State's entire staff under James Franklin fits that bill. Well, um, except for John Donovan, who was not, except for, except for good, <laughs> not yeah. a reasonably good career. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. You know, it's just that it, I feel like I don't know a whole lot about searching for coaches. And I think it's I think it's fun to pretend that I'm a college administration athletic expert. Um, every time a coach search comes up, uh, the best likelihood here is probably that someone we're not even thinking of. Absolutely. Absolutely. Probably. Uh, by the way, you know how last week I titled the podcast on SoundCloud Diversion, the podcast? Yes. This is the sequel. This is absolutely the sequel because we just spent 10 minutes talking about – okay. By People the way, are into it. I, oh, they're going to love this podcast. Uh, I want to go quickly into a couple of things. By the way, um, just a couple of non-rev uh, things. Volleyball's 10-1. and 1. That's very exciting. It's the best start for the program since 2005. It's a little hint. You might want to be looking out for something volleyball-related on the website this week. Just saying. Uh, soccer won tonight. Last yesterday, if you're listening on Tuesday, which you will be, uh, they beat Navy one nil. So good times. Can I say I went? Quick digression. I went to uh, the the soccer game the other night that they played against Michigan. Um, I just I just went as a fan, which I miss doing. 
Um, the worst thing I've ever seen. Michigan played like mm-hmm. Iran in the World Cup. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's Jose Mourinho minus the grace and talent of Jose Mourinho. But again, this is not Diversion, the podcast, the sequel. I don't want to go into soccer. Uh, I, we have to preview USF because based on what we've been talking about, you might not think there are more football games to play, but there are more football <laughs> games to play. Uh, USF they don't comes, stop. Uh, they, oh, they're never going to stop. Oh, you'll want them to stop by October, but for now, maybe not. Uh, Maryland is playing USF. Uh, well, uh, maybe USF's the only program, maybe aside from Kansas and Rutgers, that feels worse about itself than Maryland right now. Uh, preview USF. Maryland struggled with them last year in Tampa. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember the running back being good. That's about all he I can review us. He's really good. Marlon Mack. That's his name. Yeah, Marlon Mack's really good. Um, oh. I think he, he, the shine came off a little bit. He had an outrageous game in their opener last year before Maryland played them. Um, but he's, I think he's, he's averaging over five yards again this year um, behind what's a pretty not good offensive line. Um, the quarterback, uh, I believe Steven Bench is now the backup. Um, when Flowers, when Flowers is starting, yeah. um, and Flowers actually has decent numbers, um, he'd, he'd be probably the best quarterback on Maryland if he were here. Um, so yeah, there's, there's oh a, god, no, that wasn't, I'm serious. He's, <laughs> no, he's I, a big ten caliber quarterback, um, which isn't saying a lot. Um, <laughs> but have you seen who plays but, quarterback in the Big Ten? But he won't be he won't be the worst quarterback Maryland plays this year. Um, so there, I think South Florida is pretty bad, um, but with a couple of players who aren't. Okay, uh, Pete. You were reading, uh, who was the preview person you were reading? I forgot the name already, and it was 30 minutes ago that we were talking about this. Bill Connolly. Thank you. He works for SB Nation, too. I should be ashamed. Uh, what, what say you about USF? Maryland, in all likelihood, should beat them, but uh, they should have beaten Bowling Green. Yeah. Uh, you know, South Florida is in a, is in a worse situation than Bowling Green. Uh, the title for the preview was It's Bad. Uh, they... <laughs> It was, you know, under Willie Taggart, who had a successful time as the head coach of Western Kentucky. South Florida has recruited very well um, for its place, but it has not played well at all. Um, they won the opener against, uh, who was it against? Florida A&M. Won it easily, but it's not a very good program, FCS school. Then they played Florida State last week, and it was kind of surprising because, you know, it's tied 7-7 at halftime. Uh, but Florida State ran away with it at the end. Uh, coming into the year, South Florida was expected to have a really good run defense and a really bad pass defense. And then against Florida State, it gave Ever Golson a lot of trouble and then gave up 266 yards to get Dalvin Cook on the ground. So who really knows? Um, <laughs> That's exactly Maryland, what's going to be perfect for Maryland, right? Who yeah. the hell knows anymore? Yeah. So, you know, Maryland did have trouble last year. Um, let's see if this sounds familiar to you guys. Maryland couldn't move the ball reliably through the air, so South Florida stacked the box and stopped the run. So Maryland had to win on a special teams play. Wow. Did that does that sound familiar? I know no. this game this game is going to be X rated. No yeah, question. It's really Absolutely, bad. Maryland's games against Penn State, Michigan, Iowa, and uh, Indiana. Indiana and Rutgers. Uh-huh. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun year. <laughs> oh, okay. Quick win prediction. Okay. I think this is the most important game of Randy Edsel's tenure, but we've already gone way over the allotted time. Each uh, game is podcast. now. Well, each it's- game is, but I think this is the most important because games that Maryland was already going to lose, they're going to lose them anyway. These are the kind of games that Maryland needs to win in order for Randy Edsel to keep his job. He can't lose another game like he lost to Bowling Green. Correct. So this is 
the most important game of Randy Edsel's tenure until they play Michigan, until they play Iowa, until they play Penn State, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Quickly before we go, uh, who wins? Maryland. I think, yeah, I think Maryland. I think it's a close game, though, like much closer than comfortable, three or four points. Aren't they getting like, like, like 17, 14 or something like that? Uh, aren't, they getting like seven, aren't they getting like seven and a half? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, Again, that was the same line as Bowling Green. Uh, so that well, tells you well, how much worse South Florida is because that's a post-Bowling Green beatdown line. I, I South Florida is not a good team. If Maryland loses this game, then... Everything is justifiable. There's there's not a whole lot. Um, well, well, we'll cross that bridge if if, <laughs> if, if, if necessary. Hide May we never have that podcast. Uh, I hope we're not having this podcast this time come next Monday. Uh, hi to my buddy, uh, Josh Apple, who is the radio voice of USF uh, Student Radio. So I will be seeing him this week. And maybe you'll see him in the press box on, on Saturday, Alex. This was a good podcast where we once again diverted a lot from what we were going to talk about. But talking about uh, hypothetical head coaching searches is fun, isn't it? It always is. Great times. Uh, uh, I, love, I love this podcast. Uh, speaking, as I said, in Still hope you would just... So, Bob Stitt at Maryland would be absolutely insane. Yeah. Can you imagine Bob Stitt's offense in Maryland's uniforms? Ugh. You want to be Oregon of the East? Well, that's how you become Oregon of the East. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Be... Maryland fans talking about hiring Chip Kelly. Stop it. It's not <laughs> happening. Oh, my yeah. God. Uh, we're recording the... this. Okay, we're recording this just as they lost. I mean, okay. Pete, Pete, what would you say if Jim Harbaugh were to be, or excuse me, if John Harbaugh were to be fired by the Ravens? Listen to <laughs> specifically about Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly hated coaching in college. He does not want to go back. And if he does want to go back, it's probably not going to be Maryland. Although, I guess he did coach in the East Coast forever, and Kevin Plank has a lot of money. But no, he hates it. Stop it. Go cower. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, diversion. The, okay, I'm going to end this now before this becomes a bloodbath and Pete yells at me for having a 41-minute podcast tomorrow, which he's probably going to anyway. Uh, thank you, Pete. Uh, I hope you were okay with a 41-minute podcast. I'm perfectly okay with it. Uh, I, I'm just checking. Alex, uh, you ran away from your family at the end to come talk about horrible Maryland football. What a soldier you are. Well, you know, we all got to serve the greater good. Yes, we, and I'm serving the greater good by uh, leading you two in discussions. Uh, th hopefully you'll listen to this and rate us up on iTunes. Stay tuned for something special from volleyball this week, and we will see you next week, hopefully, God willing, after a Maryland win, because next week is the holiest day of the year in the Jewish calendar, and boy, we're going to have to pray for a lot of our sins if Maryland loses. I'm just going to say that. A lot of punters might be in, uh, in for a big week. Oh, my God. Oh, big week for punting. <laughs> Fill your fantasy teams with punters. Absolutely. That works, right? Uh, and what? Sign them up on DraftKings, ladies and gentlemen. They're the cheapest players you can find. Anyway, that's the it. Except don't play. Except don't play college fantasy sports, please. Uh, <laughs> it's worth. Uh, okay, I'm going to stop this now. Stop yes. the asses. Uh, go Terps in all respect, please, please go Terps. We're we're begging you, go Terps. <laughs>